PNFC Daily. Is it 1998? It is Netherlands and Argentina facing off in the quarterfinal of the World Cup. Kay Murray and LME here with you. A few more guests will be joining us momentarily. We've got Julian Laurent and Sebi Salazar coming to join us. And for the first time, we have Josh Parrish as well to give us the Australian side of things. But Argentina, Luis, are through to the quarterfinals. Is this a team that keeps going further, that can get all the way to the final? Or is it okay that they're going to do this and they can live by the skin of their teeth in certain games? Yeah, really good question. Okay, hi everybody. ESPN FC Daily here. Um, Listen, it it, it was a tough match to decipher in many ways because obviously, well done to Argentina, as you said, make it to the quarterfinals. Uh, And you mentioned, of course, the Netherlands uh, matchup. Obviously, we remember that ridiculous Bergkamp goal in 98, but also the last time they faced each other in the knockout stages was 2014 in the semifinals and Argentina won on penalties. So there's some history, but in this match per se, I wasn't super impressed with Argentina. It was more of a heroic stance from Australia. It took a Lionel Lionel Messi opener, of course, his 789th goal. Okay, Mari, that's pretty unbelievable, but I wasn't super impressed with them. And I think you said it pretty well in your question there. They're getting through, they're getting on with it. But I tell you what, the Netherlands are going to prove to be a tricky encounter. And if they go beyond that, it becomes even tougher. So, but well done to Argentina and heroic stuff from Australia. Nobody saw you going this far and you at least made it interesting. I know, I felt bad for the Socceroos, but it was a great display from them. We'll get more on that in a minute. Let's bring Jules and Sebi in, shall we? Because I'd love to just talk a bit further about this Argentina side, obviously progressing to the quarterfinals. A lot of talk from the likes of um, Rodrigo de Paul saying that that game against Saudi Arabia actually kick-started them to, to change their mentality and everything. Hi, guys. Hello, Jules. Hello, Sebi. Listen, let's Hi. start with Messi's goal then that changed things up because... Jules, it had been very slow, slow tempo from Argentina and then bang, Messi hits. Yeah, I think it's the first time he touched the ball in the box. It was uh, it started with a throw-in and then it was a free kick. That's why Otamendi is still up in the box and it's him. It's his bad first touch that actually gives the assist to Messi on his on his goal. And let me say, 7-8-9 on his 1,000th career game, which is incredible when you, when you look at the ratio of uh, goals scored per game played. But he had to come from him because he was slow, you're right. It was, I thought, very average from Argentina for most of the game, not just in the first half, even after they scored the first goal. I mean, when, you're, when your own manager changed a attacking player in Papu Gomez for, this, for a central back like Lissandro Martinez to go five at the back against Australia, for me, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. I was, I, I'm not too happy with Argentina's performance and I think Australia are a bad team. So I was a bit surprised, to be fair. Sebi, do you feel the same? I mean, I share the sentiments of Jules. I mean, Argentina are obviously such a force and it's great to see Lionel Scaloni in its first World Cup managing. Of course, we got to remember that. And they have improved a little bit step by step, but it wasn't like this remarkable, overwhelming performance. What did you make of it? Yeah, we keep talking about what is a 789 for Messi. Let's not gloss over the fact it's his first knockout round goal in a World Cup. I think that that's crazy to consider for a, a player of his status. I mean, we got a lot, personally, a chance to see this Argentina squad quite a bit in, in the group phase. You know, we were very focused on on Mexico's group and specifically the the Argentina-Mexico showdown. And in that game, uh, it's a moment of magic from Messi that, that gets Argentina over the line. You go back to the Saudi Arabia game. He's the only one that scores, albeit um, from the penalty spot. I just really wonder 
who the difference makers in attack are for this Argentina side if it's not Messi. Like you saw in the second half, he is playing his absolute best. He is fired up. He is taking people on. Shades of the old Messi. Not as quick, not as fast. But outside of him, who's really going to do the difference? And I know Jules says Australia is a bad team. Um, I think probably if we're looking at them of the 16 teams that are left, that's, that's a totally fair assessment. But are we really surprised that Argentina didn't look convincing? Because I go back to the group phase. I don't really think that they've been all that convincing. And Jules, we're watching it here. We got the ESPN Argentina folks, you know, 10 feet away from us. At the end of this game, there's real tension and frustration. So uh, I think they're kind of it, they're sensing that there's a problem building with this team. And the reality is they got a great matchup for the round of 16. Nobody, as Jules said, thought Australia was going to be here. They're going to be tested in the next round. And I think if the performance is similar, not just to what we saw today, but to the last three games before that, I think that quarterfinal against the Dutch is going to be a real problem uh, for this Argentine squad. So the, so the Argentine journalists are worried then, Sebi? They were I mean, look, yeah. Yeah, they were tense at the end. I mean, once it, once the goal goes in, and I mean, look, it's a, it's a save in, what, 30 seconds left of stoppage time from Dibu Martinez, a pretty good save. He makes himself really big there. Uh, to keep that second one out. Australia had a sweat in this game. They had a chance late, which from the Socceroos perspective is I think all you would have wanted. And from an Argentina perspective, at 2 nothing, the game looked done and dusted. Like Australia had literally done nothing. I think two minutes before the goal, I was thinking like, there's no chance. There's no chance. They say 2 nothing is the most dangerous lead in soccer. No chance here. Uh, and then the deflection goes in and, and suddenly Argentina seemed to not lose control of the game because they certainly had chances for a third. But the game opened up, and I think what we saw from this Argentina squad is when when they're in control of the game, they can be very solid defensively. But I think they struggle to maintain control of games at sometimes. And when it opens up, you see some of the, what I would describe as individual deficiencies in this Argentina defense. And, and I think a, a team like Netherlands, which we saw today against the United States, really be clinical and take advantage of those opportunities. If Argentina allows those opportunities against a better side than Australia, like I said, I, I just believe it's going to be trouble for them. I have them getting, you know, into the semis, but when they get to that real elite level, I think there's a, a significant drop from, for me, the top two teams in this tournament, France, Brazil, and, and then Argentina. I don't think, I've never really seen them as a, as a true tournament favorite. I think a lot of the hype around this team is people wanting Messi to win a World Cup, but people wanting Messi to win a World Cup is not going to beat Brazil. Yeah, let me just quickly jump in uh, on, on this, just from an Australian perspective. I think that Australia, obviously, we knew that the game plan was going to be to sit, be a little bit physical, frustrate, et cetera, et cetera. I actually think once that deflected shot came in and they made it 2-1, they probably could have like gambled even a little bit more because to the points that Jules and, uh, and Sebi were talking about, Argentina don't like it when you're kind of being, uh, when your feathers are being ruffled. And I'm a little bit surprised at the fact that Scaloni still continues to not understand that. Like, teams are going to want to annoy you, and I feel like Argentina sometimes allows that to happen. This is why I've said all along, all along, that I've got them to go as far as the semifinals. That might not even happen if they play against a very good managed uh, uh, Netherlands. But the reason why I don't have them as far as Brazil, even with the injuries, is because from a philosoph philosophical perspective, from a strategical perspective, to me, Argentina are a good team. They're not a good squad. And they're still in development under Scaloni. And I, yes, Copa America champions, unbelievable record in qualifiers. But when you enter the World Cup, teams that are not in South America anymore, teams that want to do certain different things, like, of course, Saudi Arabia, case in point, then you're going to have face some problems. And I think, honestly, if Australia just gambled a little bit more, 
in that in that moment after they scored that goal to make it 2-1. I think it could even be more problematic. And to Sebi's point, Divo Martinez just does what, well, what he does for Aston Villa every single weekend. He just kept them safe as well. So, you know, it, it's not completely convincing for me on Ascoloni. Jules? Yeah, I don't think it should be that hard to be Australia when you're Argentina and when you've got the greatest player of all time in your team playing in that kind of form. It's as simple as that. I saw them against France. I saw Australia against Tunisia. And Tunisia were better than Argentina were tonight. And so were France. So this is why I'm... But, but, but you get, at this stage, in a way, all you care is winning. You don't really care maybe about playing better, creating more chances, having higher expected goals. Maybe you don't. Maybe right now and the quarterfinals and the semifinal and the final will be all about winning, which is fine. Absolutely fine. France won a World Cup by just winning. We didn't play well, but we won a World Cup. It's just, I still don't think that it should be that hard for Argentina to beat this Australia team. So, okay. So then that goes back then, Jules. I'd be interested. My first question to Luis is, is that enough? That this is a team that keeps winning? Maybe they will have to scrape through, but that's okay. That could just happen with this team. Is Messi enough? Yeah, I think he can be enough. He's, he's Messi, so of course he's enough. I just think there might be a time where their pressing has to be better and sharper and more efficient. They will have to, to deal with a press that is better than anything they've seen so far in this World Cup. And I'm still convinced, and we talked about with it with Herc when we were watching the game and said he was, if Mexico had pressed that team more, if Mexico had played on the mm. front foot instead of taking a step back and playing really deep, I think Mexico could have caused problems to this Argentina side, a bit like the Saudis did in the first game. So I think there's still a lot of things for them to sort out, but, but Messi can carry them all the way. There's no doubt he did it in 2014 with a squad that was not as good as this one. So of course he can, even if he was younger then, of course. But yeah, he can make it happen. I do think that at some point, people will have to start playing at the same level as him, which is not the case now. Go on, Sebi. I think there's a point to be made here about Argentina. I think they might be at their best when they suffer. Like when I think of that 2014 run, I don't necessarily think of beautiful football. That The, the semifinal against the Dutch in that tournament was for me one of like the worst big games that I, I've ever remembered seeing. I think, though, what we kind of have to point out about Messi, and, and I know it's harsh to say like he can't do it himself because he's proven us you know, for so long. He, in 2014, he drags his team to the final. He's, they're not creating chances. It's not like Messi is setting guys up and there's a lot of shots on goal. Jules, we were watching the game. Well, there's one shot on goal for Argentina in that first half. Yeah. I mean, that's not enough. That's not enough. Whether, whether you know, Messi's the only guy doing it or, or the other guys need to contribute, like this team is not dangerous enough. And if you can't be dangerous enough with 61% of the ball, I'm looking at the stats here, against Australia, how are you going to generate opportunities in mass um, as, you, as, the as the opposition gets better and better throughout the tournament? So for me, I think, you know, Messi is clearly capable of dragging this team this far, but I don't know. I, I think when you get up against better competition, it's going to be tough. And I think of some of the, the Argentine teams that have played amazing in World Cups, Jules, we were talking about it like there's some examples of 2006 that stand out. Those teams didn't get as far as the 2014. So I think it's somewhat in the DNA to suffer, but to suffer this much against Australia, not just in terms of Australia could have could have tied this thing late, but Argentina with so much of the ball was pretty toothless. And again, Jules made the comp to the Mexico game. Mexico literally handed Argentina the ball. They, 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 they almost forfeited possession entirely in that match. And in that first game, it wasn't Memo Choa making a million saves, hanging on, you know, defensive, drastic clearances. It was Argentina having the ball 
but not creating and not being dangerous. And I just can't see that not being a problem moving forward. What? Sorry, let me jump in quickly. Go what on. they have though, and we have the screen here, we have plenty of screen in the studio. They're still on the pitch right now. All those players jumping and singing and celebrating with the fans. And I think maybe, maybe the big difference that they might have with other generations before, other squad at World Cups before, is this incredible team spirit. Whether they're all doing it for Messi, I don't know, but it clearly is like the godfather and they're all like, they're all behind him. But one, the support they have here in Qatar is unbelievable. And I, and I think this gives you more energy, gives you more belief, it gives you everything more than a team like, I don't know, another team that just has 2,000 fans who are, you know, are here somewhere. And I think that team spirit is something huge, is something massive that I think Scaloni has cultivated in a way, has made it so big and so important. And we see them again, they're still on the pitch and the game has finished well, I mean, well, maybe a good half an hour ago now or 20 minutes ago. And they're still there singing with their own fans. And I think that also can take them far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the beginning of this game, when they were singing the national anthem, it felt like it was Buenos Aires, El Monumental, or Bombonera. Like you could feel the crowd. You could feel even here, right, right, right here in New York City, when you're watching, you can see that feeling. And actually, that's something that Scaloni has pointed out at the very beginning of his managerial career as with the senior team. He's been there in the youth developmental system, of course. He wants to build that culture, not just about Lionel Messi, but about creating this collective family that I think hopefully can take them far. The question will be if they can do it. Some stats for you, everybody. Emiliano Messi ties now Paolo Maldini for the third most matches played in a World Cup. Okay, so if he makes it all the way to the final, he will be the most capped player in World Cup history, uh, which is pretty remarkable. And he scores his ninth World Cup goal and his first, as Sebi was saying, his first goal in the knockout stages as well. So that's pretty, pretty remarkable. Whether you're doing it for Lionel Messi, you're doing it for Argentina or both, it's clear that this Argentina side, like Jules Seque, they, they have to all be together in order to keep on going. Because I tell you what, Louis Van Gaal is watching this emotions. He's watching all the crowds. He's watching all the Argentinians singing. Louis Van Gaal is just sitting there going, all right, let's see what you have. We'll come right back at you. So He's actually been dancing like. and filming on, on his phone. <laughs> With I'm arriving back to the hotel. That's it was right. brilliant. See, I want to go there again, actually, Sebi. I want to go to what we saw from Netherlands today with how effective mm. they were. You already mentioned it. And what we might be expecting then when these two sides do face off in that quarterfinal. Yeah, just to follow up something Jules said about the fans and the crowds here that I think is worth noting. So we actually had Alexis Nunes at the USA-Netherlands game. She said it was like 75-25, US fans. So there was a very small pocket of Dutch fans. So I don't know how many Dutch fans are actually going to be at this quarterfinal. To Jules' point, there are a lot of folks from Argentina here, but it's also worth pointing out, and I think this was something that kind of in the West we, we, we missed out on. We thought, oh, you know, going to Qatar, it's inconvenient. It's a long ways. The hours are going to be off. Well, it's inconvenient for one half of the world. It's very convenient for the other part of the world. And so there's a lot of people here from India, Southeast Asia, and a lot of those fans are messy fans. And so what you're seeing is, yes, a lot of people from Argentina – but a lot of people from other parts of the world that are wearing the Argentina shirt, buying the tickets to these games and supporting Messi, they have become, I don't know if Jules would agree with me here, but the neutrals team. So I think when we talk about, you know, kind of advantages Argentina might have in a quarterfinal, I think it'll certainly feel much more like a home game in that regard. I have to say, you know, the Dutch side really surprised me today. We saw them through the first three matches. Look, that group was easy. I think we have to point it out, you know, you could have had a lot more trouble with Senegal, Tadio Mane's there. Uh, Ecuador is a solid Conmebol team, but they're not all that great. 
uh, and they probably should have beat the Dutch. And Qatar was, you know, a team that frankly didn't belong in this tournament or at this level. So I didn't think we saw the Dutch side pushed at all. And when they were slightly pushed, they really didn't impress. They play a very slow tempo. I thought that the U.S. could give them lots of problems. Uh, clearly, what we saw is that the technical ability of these Dutch players was just way beyond anything that the Americans could handle and the tactics of the coach. And I think that makes a very, very big difference in this potential quarterfinal matchup. Greg Berhalter for the U.S., young coach, not a lot of experience. Louis van Gaal had the plan, nailed it, and he has the better players, but he also had the better plan and it showed. Scaloni, uh, for as great as this run has been under Argentina, and you pointed out, LME, you said it, this is his first World Cup. You know, Luis Van Gaal has been here before. He knows what's up. He knows how to advance in tournament football. And I think that could be a really decisive advantage in the quarterfinal. What do you think, Jules? How do you see it going? Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a big tactical battle between the two managers. And right now, uh, as we saw between Van Gaal and, Be- and Behalter in the in the US Netherlands game, Van Gaal has that kind of experience. You know, he, this this is a guy who's taken uh, Holland already in a semi final of the World Cup. So this this would be fascinating to see what Scaloni does. You would suspect that it could be the same team as as today against Australia with Di Maria maybe instead of Papu Gomez if Di Maria is fit again. And for the Netherlands, they've got no reasons to change either the starting eleven because that worked that worked really well. They showed their maturity, they showed the experience, they were clinical in the two boxes. It's going to be a, a fascinating encounter, and and it's not a given that Argentina is going to is going to beat that uh, Dutch team because I think they have a lot of arguments to trouble Argentina. All right, guys, thank you so much for being with us. We'll let you get some rest. We know you've both had a busy day. So I'll see you We're too. not done yet. We have a show at 2 a.m. here, so, you know. <laughs> well, we'll let me both do that. Thank you so much for coming on ours. <laughs> All right. So, Louise, let's get to the other side as well then, shall we? Josh Parrish is going to join us from Australia, actually. And uh, it's going to be quite interesting when you see some of the reactions in Australia. Here he is. Hello, Josh. Louise, do you want to get it out of the way first, what happened with Peru? No, it's all forgiven. I mean, listen, Australia, one million percent deserve to win that game. I'm just a bitter Peruvian. And honestly, I commend Australia for what they've done and make it this far. There's no way I had you getting out of the group and you did it. And you lost 2-1 to Lionel Messi in Argentina. So amazing, amazing stuff. Josh, thank you so much. For Australia's soccer podcast, the national curriculum. It's great to have you here with us. You've got a big smile on your face, and you should because of what we've seen and the spirit that we saw from Australia. But you must be gutted, mate. Uh, I am gutted. My heart's still pumping. I'm hopped up on adrenaline and, and caffeine. It's eight nineteen a.m. here on the Eastern Seaboard in Australia, and at full time, everybody applauded. Everybody applauded. There was no groans. There was no despair. There was no disappointment. It was just gratitude for how this team has performed. Uh, they've played their hearts out. Uh, they've competed with the best player in football history. And, you know, we go out with our heads held high. So there's some footage, I believe, our producer Sam gave us uh, regarding what was, was going on in Australia. Because here we are thinking, Josh, you know, Australia, obviously uh, an Aussie rules country, a, a cricket country, a rugby country, football country, I'm sure, soccer country, I'm sure it's growing. But then we saw this footage. Everybody, you need to check this out from Melbourne, I believe, pregame as well. And take in mind to what Josh just said. It was pretty early in the morning as well. Check this video out.
the just these Amazing. are great scenes. Great scenes, right, Louise? Yeah, so good. I mean, here we are thinking, wait, is that is that Buenos Aires? Is that Sao Paulo? Like, <laughs> no, it's Melbourne, Australia. You know what's crazy is that, like, to your point, now that the game's over, you all have to go back to work and whatever. Like, I'm sure it's going to be crazy. But my question was, Josh, like, how, how has this energy from the World Cup uh, grown in Australia? Have, mm. have you seen a significant, like, level of energy, I guess, throughout the tournament? Yeah, the, the turning point was the Tunisia game. The France game went pretty much as we expected it to go, you know, outclassed by a better team and, and beaten handily. And it could have been more, in all honesty, against France. Against Tunisia, a nice prime time 9 p.m. kickoff in Australia for once. Everyone tuned in and they won. And then it's just built from there. Australia has got football fever. Every boat supply store around the country is sold out of uh, emergency flares. You know, it's just <laughs> been crazy. I was at, uh, at Fed Square where those videos are filmed. Um, for the Denmark game, you know, 2 a.m. kickoff and it was going bananas. There were 7,000 people packed in. They had to open up Amy Park, the main stadium, main football stadium in Melbourne, just to avoid the crowd crush at Federation Square. And they, they packed out two wings of, of Amy Park for a 6 a.m. kickoff this morning. You know, 12, 13, 14,000 people. It's just incredible. For football in Australia, which is a third or fourth tier sport a lot of the time, this is a big, big moment. Uh, Josh, I actually don't know how old you are, so uh, forgive me. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you to say it. Don't worry about that. But I just want to know how this compares to 2006. I know it was a lot more controversy against Italy, and obviously Italy went on to win the World Cup that, uh, that year. Controversial penalty in that game. This time, not so much controversy, but a very late chance there that might have sent the match into extra time. How would you compare the two? Well, 2006, I mean, that, that was what made me a football fan. That's, that's what converted me, I suppose. I played cricket growing up. And then in 2006, you know, that was the moment that I was, I was a football fan for life. And I'm hoping that this run that Australia has been on this time around can be that for a new generation because we haven't made the, the round of 16 in, in 16 years. Uh, it's been a long time between drinks. Um, you know, Italy, it was, uh, there was a lot of anger afterwards about the Grosso penalty. It actually crossed my mind, you know, Australia's left back running through on goal, um, you know, midway through the first half and getting a tiny little shove in the back. He was a bit too honest. You know, Fabio Grosso would have gone down in that situation and tried to win a spot kick. Uh, and then later, you know, as he's matched the same play, almost scored the greatest goal in Australian football history by taking on the entire Argentina team. But he just couldn't, couldn't get it done at the, at the last second. But, yeah, I, I think this, this group, uh, a lot less was expected from them because this, this is not the golden generation of, Mark Viduka, Harry Kuehl, the emergence of Tim Cahill in that tournament. You know, Premier League quality players, the best Australia's ever produced. Um, this is a team that was talked about as maybe our worst World Cup team ever. And boy, have they proved everybody wrong in that respect with their performances throughout this World Cup. We, you know, our striker plays in the second division in Japan. Uh, two of our three goal scorers play in the A-League locally in the domestic competition. So uh, on paper, we were nowhere near this and they've, they've played out of their skins. Absolutely. I mean, Aaron Moy, I believe, had to be recalled back as well. Like just, just tremendous stuff, really, from this Australian side, like, like you said. Well, Josh, that obviously in the previous World Cup, you were playing in the Oceania uh, group, but now you had a tougher competition qualifying to the World Cup. Do you think that helped a little bit in regards to this tournament? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, we've been we've been qualifying through Asia since 2010. Um, the last time we went through Oceania was the 2005 playoff against Uruguay. Um, it, it's uh, Asia is preferable because you, you get a, a regular test of your your standard, and you play against much higher quality opposition. We played against Japan uh, in, in uh, World Cup uh, qualifying. We played against Saudi Arabia. Didn't do too well. There were a lot of people calling for for Graham Arnold's head, calling for him to get the sack uh, after those losses, and we only scraped through, as you know, against Peru. So yeah, don't um, remind uh, me. You know, Asia. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, Asia is a much better standard of competition on a regular basis, and it doesn't always come down to that massive intercontinental playoff. Although the last two times we've qualified, we've done it the hard way uh, against Honduras and and then against Peru. So it's definitely preferable to to be in Asia for Australia. Josh, where actually are you right now and where did you watch the game? I, I was in Canberra this weekend. This is uh, Civic Square in Canberra. You can see behind me. Everyone's Very going nice. to go get breakfast now, but uh, there were about two or 3,000 people packing out this, this square beforehand. And, uh, yeah, there's been massive turnouts at live sites across the country. I think after the Denmark game, every other state looked at Melbourne and was a bit jealous, so they started setting up their own events. So they've been packed out live sites in Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, all across the country, which has been a fa- fantastic to see. And it's the way you want to experience the World Cup is feeling those, those emotions um, with, with a huge crowd with you. Yeah, I suppose to summarise then, it's heartbreak, but you, you've gone out fighting. You're all happy in the way and the spirit that you showed in this tournament too, right? You almost went toe-to-toe with Argentina. I mean, you did. Yeah, and, you know, Garan Kual had a, a big chance right at the end. You know, the 18-year-old um, who's a, a, a refugee and has had an amazing story. Keep, a, keep an eye out for him at Newcastle United. He's just signed there. Probably will be on loan for a little while. But, um, you know, Australia's got some great young talent coming through. I hope we can progress from here in our style of play. I hope it's not always that, you know, what Graham Arnold keeps going on about Aussie DNA and boxing kangaroos and this, that and the other. And, you know, every nation has fighting spirit. Australia isn't unique in that respect. We've certainly shown a lot of heart this time around, but hopefully over the next four-year cycle, we can add to that and add a little bit more progressive football because, you know, uh, our answer when we were a goal down was to send big Harry Sutar up front and try and get it on his head. And, you know, that, oh, uh, I, I don't think that's a very sustainable style of play. I, I know, but that boy is so scary, Josh. Like, <laughs> oh, he's I mean, talk about scary. You, you, you haven't known true terror until your nation has come up against Lionel Messi in a knockout <laughs> World Cup game. Oh, I'm Peruvian, my friend. Trust me, I know all about facing Lionel Messi. <laughs> oh, Josh, it's been so lovely to have you on. I'm almost sad now that Australia aren't progressing further oh, no. because, honestly, it's been wonderful to have you on and we'll no doubt speak to you again soon we'll find a way don't you worry uh anytime guys thanks so much for having me thanks for success uh, thanks so much Tal. how lovely yeah it's funny but that he said that about graham arnold because he came off the wrong end like you of the world cup playoff against argentina in 93 anyway okay. i saw a quote from him and he said we love to have the backs to the wall no one giving us a chance and going out there fighting the odds the aussie spirit way that's our strength. And maybe as we're hearing there, some of the Aussies even think that might be a bit cheesy, but I love that. And I think yeah, we've I mean, you, you got to love it. Yeah, totally. totally. So, um, uh, Luis. Yes. 
Talk to me. Tomorrow. Tonight. Tomorrow. Yeah. France, Poland. Yeah. England, Senegal. But it's yeah. France, Poland I want to talk about. Oh, okay. You've had some time to rest, to think over your options, right? Yeah. Would you like I... to defend your pick of Poland beating France? Or would you like to say, actually, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, maybe I was drunk in the previous episode. I don't know. <laughs> no, listen. Okay, first of all, I'm... No alcohol on the ESPN FC daily, <laughs> might I drunk, dr drunk on soccer, drunk on football. Yes. Uh, first of all, I, I do believe, K. Murray, that I'm two for two in my bracket. Is that correct? Are two, you for two, two for two? Yeah, today. In the, in the two you games. had the US winning, right, against the Netherlands? So yeah, and I'm really mad about that because I had the Netherlands and my husband said, no, you've got to go for the US. So I did. Yeah, you know, you know what we think Shouldn't about him. To him. You Should can't I? listen to him. No, not at all. His own country's got his own issues. Look at me blaming him when I had every right and free will to just I know. Stick with what I thought. You're going to hear it at the end yeah. of this one. Like, okay. Mm, and then Vincent to, changed my mind a little bit too. Go on. Back to France, Poland. Listen, what life, football, it's the same thing. What is it without a little chaos? I have to go for a little chaos here. I don't think chaos. That but I wouldn't care if it was a team that come out and show, like, what is chaotic about this Poland team? I don't think that France is that spectacular, to be honest. I think that they can show some elements of disarray. And I think that Poland, yes, Poland are not, to your point, exactly electrifying us with their football. <laughs> but every now and again, K. Murray, you may get some weird results. And I have to gamble. And I think it's going to be this one. Now, will I be wrong? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay, I'm an idiot. But hey, if I'm right, I'm a genius, K. Murray. I'm a <laughs> that, genius. You know, it's true. And that, one of my things that I love about the bracket is, I mean, we'll rib each other for a little bit, but it doesn't matter. We've not got money on it. We just exactly. decided to have some fun with our picks as well. And I you know what, K? People have amnesia. They have goldfish memory. They forget they that we do. did it in the first place. You want to talk about England-Senegal? I, I mean, do. I hope I'm it. right with my pick there. I know it's not going to be easy. I've just seen some reports as well that Phil Foden will be in the 11 for England. Let's go! I Finally. hope that is the case. Is that what you're hoping to? Yes, Phil Foden deserves to be in the starting 11. Remember what I've said. I, I mean, listen, we obviously have a, a personal emotion connection to this team, but in Euro 96, Paul Gascoigne absolutely magically turned everything around. 1990, he nearly did it as well. I think that Phil Foden can be that person for England. He needs to be in the starting 11. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, me too as well. And guys, just because we do have that personal link to England, it does not mean we do not show respect for the opponents. And I think no. we both had, well, we both did, I know, had Senegal get in this far, did we? For sure yeah. I did. Because you know what annoyed me the most? That it was the fair play rule that denied them in 2018. I was yeah. so obsessed about that. And it's a team that I like, but I am sorry, Senegal. Tomorrow, I am hoping it will be England that progress. We can wrap it up anyway. We will be back tomorrow after both of those games. We hope that you are too. See you then.